Glad to be with you this morning. How many enjoying this beautiful, beautiful weather? Yes. You notice the minute it warms up, the mosquitoes come back? Yes. You don't have to worry about that in heaven. Because I'm believing. <laughs> well, we're going to continue with the book of Acts today. And um, I want to talk to you today. Uh, th- this, we're going to be in chapter 8. And this, this chapter 8 is a, is a pivotal chapter. And um, how many of you have been enjoying the, just going slowly through the book of Acts? Okay, five of you. Great. That's better than last week. It was just one last week. So it's growing on us. Uh, so today I want to show you how the kingdom of God advances. Uh, I strongly believe that the kingdom of God is supposed to be advancing on the earth. Like we're supposed to be taking ground. I've been reading a story lately. I've been reading a book called God's Generals, and it's about all the, the old-time generals that God used. And it's, it's a lot of women, a lot of men. And, and in the early, late 1800s, early 1900s, and how God just moved through people who just had issues still, but God moved through people and did incredible things. And there was one guy I was reading about, and he was, he was responsible in part uh, for the Welsh Revival. And when the Welsh Revival hit, it was such a, such a massive revival that soccer matches closed because the fans didn't show up. The players didn't show up. Like they shut the soccer season down. Liquor stores closed because alcoholics were getting delivered. Bars closed because alcoholics were getting delivered. Now, people can define revival in many different ways, but to me, real revival is when the kingdom of God advances across a city and you see it taking effect in the natural world. Like you start to see things that just just spit in the face of God shut down. And that's what I'm believing for. That's the burning in my heart right now. God, I don't want to play church in Eunice. God, I want to see a revival come across this land. I want to see us advance the kingdom. I want to be involved. I'm like, God, I want to be in the mix. That's a crazy prayer because then you get in the mix. <laughs> and then sometimes you go, well, I prayed that. <laughs> and so I want to see God, and I want to see God move across this city. And so how does the kingdom of God advance? Well, I believe it advances and it involves plowing and planting. If you'll notice when you read your Bible, Jesus uses a lot of agricultural terms. And we live in a very strong agricultural community, don't we? I mean, rice, soybeans, crawfish, cattle, come on. There's ag everywhere you turn. And so I want to share this with you. It's kind of an agricultural story. Just bear with me. But but right before Thanksgiving hit, a lot of the, the cattle ranchers in the area usually planned to start planting ryegrass. Ryegrass is a winter grass, and it's high in nutrients, and it, it does really good for your cattle to graze ryegrass during the winter because all your summer grasses go dormant. But, but it requires some labor. It requires some work to plant the ryegrass. There's three, three different ways you can plant ryegrass. You can, what's called overseed it. You can, it's kind of the lazy man's way. You, you go out and you just throw the seed on top of your existing grass and hope that most of it hits the dirt and takes some kind of root and then springs up. Overseeding. Then there's a, a newer method called uh, drilling. 
where you can actually drill it without tilling the land. You can just take this, this mechanism and put a bunch of seeds in it and run it across your fields, and it has a little, a little disc that opens the ground, drops the seed in as you go. And it's better because you actually get better contact with the soil, the seed does, but it's expensive for the equipment and this and that, and it's, it's good. It's better than overseeding, but then the best way to plant ryegrass is to actually go in and disturb the soil. Go in and plow the soil up. Like take what, what's been kind of crusted over, flip it upside down, and then broadcast the seed around it or on it, and then you get the best contact with the soil from, with the seed. The seed touches the soil and ends up in the soil, and you get the best results when you plow. But plowing, is, it's, it's hard. It's laborsome. It takes time. It's longer. But it's better. <laughs> How does the kingdom of God advance? It requires plowing and planting, sowing and reaping. So we're going to see in Acts today that the gospel is meant to spread. It's always meant to spread. And it will always spread. If you refuse to tell people about Jesus, God will send somebody else in your place to tell those people that you were supposed to tell about Jesus to tell them for you. The gospel will always spread. It's unstoppable. So what we see in Acts chapter 8 is that now that the soil of Jerusalem has been plowed, it is time to move on to other towns. You see, what's, what's fascinating to me is that God determines the times we don't. God's the author of revival. We're not. We can pray for it. We can plow the land. We can sow the seed. But God brings the revival. God brings the seed up to produce a harvest. God's the one. It's in his timing. We love to set goals, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as we can remember that God loves to determine times. I believe from last week's message that Stephen's death is a tipping point. Trouble had been brewing for some time with Peter and John. They were arrested twice, beaten a second time, and let out of prison, threatened to never, and, and, and <laughs> threatened that if they ever preached Jesus again, it would get worse. And as soon as they got out, they went and preached. <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe Stephen's murder for preaching was some kind of a tipping point in God's timing. So I want to talk to you today about two things, about plowing and planting. So go with me to Acts chapter 8. Hopefully you brought your paper Bible. Come on, somebody. Don't, don't, don't get fatigued on me. Keep your Bible. I got you some notes. Got some paper, paper notes, paper Bible. Come on, we can save the trees, but eventually the trees need to get cut down. So... <laughs> Sorry if there's any tree huggers in here today. Acts chapter 8. Did I just say that? Wow. That wasn't in my notes, by the way. <laughs> that came straight out of my flesh. <laughs> Acts chapter 8. Watch what happens here. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely <laughs> with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution uh, began that day. Say that day. that day. Sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. 
And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. You might already underline that. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Saul, who would later become Paul, that you need to pay attention to because in a couple of chapters, we're going to see his conversion. And it's a very dramatic conversion. But Saul is standing there watching them, actually giving approval for the killing of Stephen simply because Stephen preached Jesus, healed the sick, and cast out demons. <laughs> he gets murdered for that. And Paul, Saul is giving approval for that event to happen. Then as soon as that happens, persecution breaks out in a moment. It breaks out against the church and the believers, it says the believers except the apostles were scattered through the region of Judea and Samaria. That's, that's about 5,000 people are running for their lives. You, you got to get this. Like, like 5,000 people because of Saul and a few of his flunkies are going and arresting people. They take off running. Persecution breaks out. What is persecution? Let's just clarify that today. Persecution is the hatred and affliction that follows the witness and holy life of God's people in a hostile world. What is persecution? It's hatred and affliction poured out on God's people when they witness and they live a holy life. Get you some of that. So the believers were scattered, the Bible says. Now let's go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8 real quick. Listen to what Jesus said right before he ascended into heaven. He said, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me. There's that word again, everywhere. And then he gives a few specific places. He says, in Jerusalem, which up to chapter 8, that's where everything's been happening is in Jerusalem. So the soil in Jerusalem has been plowed. Throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now back up to Acts chapter 8, verse 2, I mean verse 1. It says, except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Isn't it funny Jesus said where it would go and then it went that way? My God, if we would just learn to trust that what he says is true. But boy, let me tell you something. This is rich because <laughs> you got to understand, it's been a year. It's been one year since Jesus ascended into heaven that they were in Jerusalem. The day of Pentecost comes, they get filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. They speak in other languages. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Signs, miracles, wonders, salvations, all these things start happening in Jerusalem. Over the period of a year, Peter and John get arrested multiple times. Stephen gets arrested. He was just on the dream team, y'all. <laughs> he gets arrested and murdered. And now all of a sudden in an instant, 
The church is scattered. 5,000 people running for their lives. And where do they go? Judea and Samaria. <laughs> Jesus also said to the ends of the earth. That means Eunice. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you know what's funny, though, is I bet the disciples never thought it would spread like this. They heard Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. They heard him. But I wonder how they thought the gospel would spread. If I had to guess, this is just my guess. I'm just going to let you into my mind a little bit. If I had to guess, I bet they thought they would be able to go and spread the gospel at their convenience. That they would be able to go whenever they felt the time was right, and they would spread the gospel like they thought they should spread it. They're man, we're the same. Come on, we're all humans, right? We think, well, uh, let's make a plan to spread the gospel. Let's make a campaign to go out and, and put it on the, on the calendar. We're going to go spread the gospel to Judea and Samaria on this day. And it would be at their convenience to some degree. I bet they didn't think the gospel was going to get spread through persecution. Come on, somebody. I, I bet they didn't think that one of them was going to have to die before the gospel would get spread. I bet they didn't think they were going to have to feel pain and experience hostile affliction and persecution and hatred for the gospel to spread. And I wonder if this is where we get hung up. Because you see, I, I, I think we have expectations on Jesus to do things certain ways. And when he doesn't, he, we get confused and even overly cautious, maybe even angry at times. And I bet they never thought that would come through pain and strife and trouble and persecution. You see, I believe a lot of us ha have a comfort-based expectation of God. A comfort-based expectation of God. Like, God's go God, I want you to move. God, I want you to use me. God, use me. I want to be a part of your kingdom. I want to disciple people. I want to do this kind of stuff. But we don't ever think about the pain that comes with that. We don't ever think about the affliction that comes with that. We don't ever think about the discomfort that comes with that, the unsettling that comes with that. And just because there's pain and hatred and affliction and all these other things does not mean that you're not in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. Amen. A comfort-based expectation of God. Like, God, I want you to move, but I don't want it to hurt. God, I want you to move, but I don't want to mess up my schedule. I don't want it to cost me too much. We're always looking for a deal, ain't we? Come on, Allison, we're always looking for Clarence. We're trying to get a Clarence deal in the, in, in the kingdom of God. Y'all know who Clarence is. It's almost like we want God to accomplish his purpose in my life within the parameters of my comfort. I wonder if that's why a lot of us bail out. I wonder if that's why a lot of us just won't go the extra mile. Well, why a lot of us won't open up our mouths about our faith and tell people what Jesus has done in our life. Wow. 
Because you see, if you have a comfort-based expectation of God, when he doesn't show up like you want him to, you get discouraged, disappointed, angry, confused, and so on. (laughs) And he's going, you asked me? You asked me to move through you. I'm moving through you. What's the problem? I I really believe God's just honestly sitting there going, what's the problem? I got all this pain and people don't like me. They're saying stuff about me on social media and I'm just becoming, they say I'm a Christian nut and I just, I don't know. Okay. Do I need to remind you what they did to Jesus? Do Do I need to remind you that I told you that the same thing that happened to Jesus would happen to you? Did I not build your expectation through my word that you would continue to face the things that Jesus faced? But even though you face it, you serve a king who's already been there and done that. And I've given you the Holy Spirit who's a comfort and a guide and a counselor. What else do you need? (laughs) Boy, that's just a little bit different, huh? I'm sorry, you didn't come to a feel-good church this morning. You see, the loss of Stephen and the great persecution that broke out was real to every one of them. You better believe it was real. Did you hear what, the, what, what Acts chapter 8, verse 1 to 3 said? It said some, some men came and they buried Stephen with great mourning. You suffer loss lately? You've been mourning a little bit? Do you, you, remember, you remember what the pain of mourning is like? That's what they were feeling. Most of them were running for their lives. This was real persecution. This isn't a Sunday school Bible story. It was real persecution. This isn't even a parable. This is history. Persecution is the result of plowing the city. (laughs) Let me show you. When, when, you, when, you set, when you hook a set of disc up to a, a tractor and you go out onto a piece of land and you begin to plow it, you actually hurt the soil. You damage the soil. You take what has been established and it's healthy and it's fine, but you take it and you disrupt it. You disturb it. You turn it upside down. And if you don't hurry up and plant something, you'll actually do some long-term damage to the soil. That's why you see farmers when they go in and they they clean up a field real nice and it's all bare and dirt. Most of the time they come and they plant some kind of a seed on top of it to protect the soil. But it needed to be plowed. (laughs) Plowing is painful. Because you got to understand that seed in the soil is better than seed on the soil. Seed in the soil produces a greater harvest than seed on the soil. So Saul was going around causing trouble for all the believers, dragging them out of their houses and arresting them. That brother was dragging them out of their houses and you fussing about Biden trying to make you take a shot? Good thing Saul ain't president. (laughs) Plowing can also be called trouble to trouble something, to agitate it, to disturb it, to put in a confused emotion, to afflict, to grieve, or even to distress. 
So if you were here last week, I left you with a charge to go and stir up some trouble. <laughs> I literally prayed over you last week. Go cause trouble. <laughs> but I did define the right kind of trouble. So before you just leave today, if you weren't here last week, go listen to last week's message before you go stir up some trouble because you might get arrested for the wrong things. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> but go stir up the right kind of trouble. What's funny, though, is that Saul doesn't even realize that even in his persecuting the believers, he's being used by God. He thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. He's a religious genius, and he's better than everybody else, and he's dragging them out of their houses, not even knowing that in his pride and his arrogance, he ain't nothing but a seed broadcaster. That's all he is. He's just a seed spreader. You see, that's what's funny about the devil is he thinks every time he stirs up trouble, it's to bring some kind of end to God's purpose. Boy, if we'll just get this today, that when the enemy comes to stir up some trouble, if you'll just go out and start planting some seeds, instead of whining, complaining, and murmuring. <laughs> so then right after it talks about the persecution in chapter 8, it gets into the story of Philip. Philip is an incredible story. Philip, like, like Stephen, was on the dream team. He was selected the same time Stephen was. Philip was probably serving tables. He was on the, the meal ministry, the set-up teardown team. He may, been, he may have been in the parking lot. I don't know. But Philip was, you know they didn't need a parking lot, right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Verse 4, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever. Say wherever. You know where Jesus wants you to preach the gospel? Wherever. Wherever. Wherever you find yourself, tell somebody about Jesus. Wow. Wherever they went, verse 5, Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people about the Messiah. I love that sentence because it's so simple. He just went to Samaria and told people about Jesus. Like, it don't talk about his bags. It don't talk about where he stayed. It don't talk about how he was dressed or what restaurant he went to. He just went to the city, told people about Jesus. My God, what would happen if you went to work tomorrow and just told people about Jesus? You might get a promotion. You might get yourself another job. <laughs> Some of you are going, that's how I get out of this. <laughs> Preach your way out. Come on, somebody. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened to him, listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Verse 7, here it is. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Three things you need to worry about doing. Preach Jesus, pray for deliverance on people, and pray for healing over people. It is not complicated. Preach Jesus, pray for people. If they need deliverance, pray deliverance. If they need healing, pray healing. It's not complicated. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to have some kind of title in front of your name. You can do it in your job. You can do it at the gym. You can do it in your house. Even at Walmart. 
But I, I don't know. I mean, like, like what do I do? Like, like how do I del- deliver people from evil spirit? You don't do nothing but stand there in faith and say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I come right now and I just command this evil, unclean thing to leave in the name of Jesus right now. You ain't got to put them in a headlock. You ain't got to give them the, the burning head. You ain't got to pull their underarm hairs. You ain't got to do none of that stuff. You ain't got to run around like a chicken with his head cut off. You ain't even got to raise your voice. You can have the sweetest little, Lord, in the name of Jesus, just to deliver this poor girl from this evil spirit. <laughs> just takes off. Because it has nothing to do with my flesh. So if it has nothing to do with my flesh and has everything to do with the spirit of God, then what am I worried about? (laughs) If they need healing, Lord. I taught taught Ethan this when he was a kid. (laughs) You know, he's he's a boy. How many got boys? Come on. They rough, rumble cut themselves, and we had the 7 o'clock whining hour. Every day at 7 o'clock, me and the girls would look at each other like, here it comes. He wouldn't feel nothing all day but 7 o'clock. Because 7 o'clock was when he came inside to take a bath. And when he stopped, he realized everything was hurting. So he'd go, mama, I got a cut. He was a little bitty old thing. I got a cut, and I'd listen to this. And I'm like, oh, my God. Finally, one day I walked over, and I said, come here, boy. Let me tell you what you do. I said, you see that bobo right there? Yes, sir. I said, put your hand on it. Put his hand. I said, now tell Jesus, ask Jesus to heal it. Jesus, I said, say it like this. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, heal my bobo. Heal my bobo. I don't care what you say. That's intentional parenting. It's not complicated. Lord Jesus, heal their bobo. He's the healer, you're not. <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to pull out your degree. You don't have to pull out your, your certificates. You don't have to pull out none of that stuff. Just, Lord Jesus, heal their bobo. Come on, somebody. But you'll never know he can do it until you start doing it. So Philip walks into town, tells people about Jesus, uses the power of the Holy Spirit to deliver and heal people. That's plowing. How do we plow this region, Acadia Parish, St. Landry Parish, Evangeline Parish? How do we plow this region? By doing exactly what Philip said. The Bible just said he was an example. For example, Philip went and did this. That means this. We should listen to his example and we should follow his example. Preach Jesus, pray for deliverance, pray for healing, whichever one's required. Does that make sense? Does that simplify it some? Philip's plowing up Samaria. What would happen if you went to wherever you're going tomorrow, you went with a plowing attitude? I'm going to mess something up. I'm going to stir something up. I'm going to mess up somebody's day and tell them about Jesus. I'm going to fool around and give somebody hope tomorrow. Get them out of that ditch they've been stuck in and I'm tired of hearing about. (laughs) What would happen if you gave God permission to use you to do that? 
Now, let me just clarify something. Plowing doesn't have to be mean. We don't have to be mean. We don't have to be loud. We still need to walk in the fruits of the spirit, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? We still need to walk in that. Second thing I want to talk about is planting. Listen to verse 8. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. What was their purpose? Remember, they were running for their lives. Literally running for their lives. And instead of freaking out about running for their lives, they were preaching Jesus. What would happen if you took your social media time and you used it to preach Jesus instead of getting up in other people's business? Y'all didn't hear me on that one. I'm going to just say it one more time just to make sure you got that. What would happen if you took those two to three hours a day that you spent exercising your thumb, and instead of exercising your thumb, you started using your tongue to tell people about Jesus, and then you can actually change the world instead of knowing about something to complain about of the world, right? What would happen if you just took that much time and started telling people about Jesus instead? I'm talking like at the gas pumps. Man, the price of gas. Yeah, I know, bro, but good thing is we ain't need no gas in heaven. And can I tell you about Jesus? Ain't got no precedence in heaven. You going there? Oh, I hope so. Well, you, bro, you don't be hoping. <laughs> Hope don't float. Come on, somebody. Just plant the seed wherever you go. I think we worry about the seed too much. We worry about the soil too much. Am I supposed to? The answer is yes. If you ever ask, am I supposed to tell this person about Jesus? Here's the answer. Here's the word from God. This is so prophetic. Yes. Should I tell them? Yes. Do they need to know? Yes. But what if they already know? That's okay. They need to be reminded. Yes. Don't worry about the seed. Let the seed worry the soil that it lands on. Just throw the seed and move on. (laughs) Jesus taught us this in the Gospels. Listen to Matthew chapter 13. You getting some yet? Matthew 13. He told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on the shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns, and that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Now, it's it's good to learn what's written. It's also good to think about what's not written. Did Jesus warn them to be careful where to sow the seed? In the story, did 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 the farmer make sure he didn't scatter any seed on bad soil? In fact, the, the tone of the story is that the, the farmer was just going sow the seed. Some of it landed in places it got no fruit, which tells me this, that some of you have told people about Jesus, but you didn't get anything in return. Okay, keep planting seed. 
<laughs> Keep planting seed. You're not there to make it grow. You're there to put it in the dirt. Put it in the dirt and keep on putting more in the dirt. Like just keep on just dropping seed, 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 dropping seed. Just drop seed, drop seed, preach, 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 preach. Heal, 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 heal. Deliver, deliver, deliver. Keep on dropping seed, dropping seed, dropping seed, dropping seed, dropping seed. And you may come back around one day and go, hey, that popped up. Hey, somebody might actually walk up to you and goes, you remember me? And you go, nope. Some of you might go, I owe you something. <laughs> 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 How much I owe you? <laughs> you remember me? No. You told me about Jesus at the gas pump. I, I got seeded Murphy oil. With $3 gas. I just want you to know that I heard what you said. And it changed my life. And you never know what kind of a story you'll hear from there. But you'll never get the story if you never drop the seed. Come on, somebody. We got to drop some seeds. <sighs> so there's a space and time between the planting and the reaping. Just keep plowing and planting, right? Here's a couple of practical ways to plant. Uh, number one, share your story of salvation. How did you meet Jesus? Do you know that your story is unique? There may be some other stories that sound similar to yours, but nobody else has your story of how they met Jesus. Do you know that God did it that way to give your story specific or, or certain power for other people? Like you could share your story with somebody, it might not mean anything. But you could share your story with somebody else and one word in your story can trigger something in their heart and scales will fall from their eyes and their heart will go wide open just because of one little significant thing in your story. Could that be why the enemy's trying to convince you that your story is insignificant? One little thing in your story about how you met Jesus Second thing you can do is ask people if they know Jesus. It's a grand idea. Hey, do you know Jesus? We'll do it when we're lost. Women will before men will, but right? When we're traveling. No, not these days. Women are too prideful to ask for directions to. Too scared. Okay, okay. We'll go with scared. Because women aren't prideful. But don't ask them if they know about Jesus. Ask them if they really know Jesus personally. Like, don't stay on the surface, because seed in the soil gets more fruit, produces more fruit than seed on the soil. Yeah, 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 I know Jesus. Yeah, you heard about him when you was in fifth grade. Do you know him personally? When hearing of people's problems and struggles, pray for healing or deliverance. Your ears need to be like radars, listening for problems. Does people have, do people have problems sharing their problems today? There's more opportunities to pray for people than ever before, right? Live in such a way that backs up your preaching. Be real, not religious. Just a couple of ways to plant. Verse 14 and 15, watch this. When the apostles, remember the apostles were left back in Jerusalem. They stayed in Jerusalem. 
All the other believers were scattered, but the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Watch this. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, now let's, let's just look at the whole story. Philip's running for his life, preaching everywhere he goes. He stops in Samaria, preaches the gospel, prays for deliverance, prays for healing. People start getting converted left and right, right? Then, <laughs> then after a little while, Word gets back to Jerusalem. They say, well, we need to send someone there as a representative to make sure they get filled with the Holy Spirit. This is important. It was so important that Peter and John got sent out to go and talk about the Holy Spirit to all these new converts. Come on, pay attention. They got sent out urgent. Some of you are waiting for UPS to show up right now and FedEx. You've got something urgent <laughs> that belongs to you that you've already paid for and you're waiting. I mean, any little noise outside, you're looking out the window, waiting for somebody to come. And if you're like me, you're hoping they come when you're there and not there instead of not there because the dogs will eat your package. Come on, somebody. Oh. They were sent out like an urgent package. This is so important. You got to get this today. To go and make sure the new converts were filled with the Holy Spirit. They didn't go to preach Jesus. They didn't go to even create more, more converts. They didn't go to plant more seed. They went with one plan, one purpose to make sure the new believers we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I was raised in a church that didn't believe that. I was raised in a church that didn't believe you needed a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I struggled for years because I didn't think I needed the baptism in the Holy Spirit. What's funny to me is that I didn't realize how much I needed it till after I got it. <laughs> it's amazing. Let me read something to you. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for the new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's water baptism. But they didn't go for water baptism because Philip done, done got them saved and Philip done, Philip done got them baptized. He converted them and he dunked them. <laughs> Come on, simply put. Peter and John came to fill them. To fill them with something they don't have yet. Verse 17, then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, that, that's a whole weird story. He tried to buy it. You're like, bro, really? Like, you're going to try to buy it? 
Philip did a great work, but his work was incomplete. The apostles came and brought the Holy Spirit and baptized the new converts in the Holy Spirit. You remember how important it was in chapter 2 that they stay in Jerusalem to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You remember that? That was Jesus' instruction. Stay in Jerusalem until the gift of the Father comes, the Holy Spirit. It's still important today. Why am I spending a little bit of time on this? Because you can be a convert. You can be a believer. You can follow Jesus and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's possible. I did it for a good portion of my life. But you can't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit unless you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. In fact, you can't even encourage yourself unless you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and received your prayer language. Because when you pray in tongues, it's not for other people unless somebody interprets it. When you pray in tongues, it's to edify your own body. How much do we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit today? And it's nothing to be afraid of. I was scared to death. The church I grew up in scared me from the Holy Spirit. I got in trouble in the youth group for, for talking about the Holy Spirit. Got called to the pastor's office. What you teaching in youth? Bible. What, what, what you talking about? I just, I just read from the Bible. Serious. I got in trouble. You think I had a hard time believing in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I was hung up for a long time. What would happen if you would just say, God, if it's real, do it? And then he did it. Hmm. You'll find out. <laughs> it was so important that Peter and John got sent by the other apostles to go and make sure that Samaria got the Holy Spirit. They got the gospel, they got water baptism. They made sure they got the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? So I believe God wants us to plow up the region of St. Landry Parish, Acadia Parish, and Evangeline Parish. God told me this week, I didn't send you here for a city. I sent you here for a region. So open your eyes, boy. <laughs> You're here for a region. St. Landry Parish, Acadia Parish, and Evangeline Parish. What would happen if we would intentionally start plowing the ground that we walk on and planting the seed of the gospel in that ground? You know, God's looking for people who are willing to do that. He's looking for people. Technically speaking, he's looking for people that are willing to consecrate themselves. Let me explain that to you real quick. Consecrate has two meanings. It means to set oneself apart for God's purposes. And then it means to purify oneself of any sinful or unclean things. God's looking for people who will set themselves apart. What does that mean? How does that practically look for us today? 
It's people that are willing to not only pray that God would use them, but to adjust their life for God to use them. People that would take their calendars and their schedules and their events and all the things that they're busy doing, their social life, and go, you know what, I want, God, how do you want me to rearrange this? How do you want me to restructure this? Because I don't only want to just pray that you use me. I actually want to set myself up, consecrate myself, set myself apart for your purpose and not my own. That means you got to be willing to lay your dreams down. You got to be willing to lay your own purposes down. You got to be willing to lay your own desires down, your goals down. Say, Lord, use me. I lay it all at your feet today. Some of it, he'll give it back to you. Some of it, he won't. And you gotta be okay with that. And you don't have to travel. Ain't nobody persecuting you yet. Right? Anybody drag you out your house this week? <laughs> no, I got a gun for that. <laughs> Come and get me, no shot. My God, we need to out-preach the shot. Set yourself apart for his purpose and then purify yourself. If anything that may be sinful or unclean, when's the last time you asked God to examine your heart like David did? When's the last time you sat in a moment with God and you're just sitting there and just going, Lord, is there anything in me that you don't like? Is there an attitude, a belief, a pattern, a habit, an unclean thing that you want to get rid of that I don't see? Or maybe I've been in denial of? And then listen. And if he tells you something, deal with it. I did that the other day and he dealt with me about fear. I didn't think I had fear. Look, I ain't afraid of nothing. You see how big I am? <laughs> he said, you're walking in fear. I said, well, how? And here's the beautiful thing. He told me exactly how I was walking in fear. I wasn't afraid of everything. There was just one thing that I was afraid of that he said, I want this out. And I set myself apart in a posture to purify myself, to lay my heart open before Jesus and say, Lord, is there anything in me that you don't like? Please show it to me. I want to deal with it. You know what I did in that moment when he showed me about that fear? I said, Lord, I release that to you right now. I let go of that fear. Help me to walk without that fear. Help me to live without that fear anymore. Show me what life looks like without that. And you know what's happening right now? He's doing it. He's doing it. I'm not all the way there. When that specific thing pops up, oh, I gotta get this, oh, but it doesn't mean I'm still walking in fear, it just means I'm feeling it as I'm walking through it, right? You're gonna feel it as you walk through it. God's looking for people he can plow up St. Landry Parish, Acadia Parish, and Evangeline Parish with? Are you them 
Are you they? I don't know how you properly say that. Somebody correct me. They? Okay. Some educated people over here that, that I was expecting some correction from. Cheryl, I thought I was going to get it from you, but G beat you to it. Correct my grammar. That's okay. I, I encourage that. I need it. Got some over here. This they. Are you they? That don't sound right to me. Lord, heal my language, my vocabulary. Is that you? You want to be used by God? see God move in this region my heart's burning right now I'm not lying to you I got so much going through my heart and my mind right now I've never been on fire like this before I've never been so passionate about what's coming down the road I've never seen as much as I've seen right now my heart is burning for this region I'm scared to death the whole time because there's a whole lot of me that gotta die before we get there and I'm like, die, baby, die, I think. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I kind of feel like the dog chasing the car. You know, it's, it feels good to chase the car, but you don't know what you're going to do when you get it. Close your eyes. I want you to evaluate your life just for a couple minutes. Just right now, just begin to think about your habits your schedule, your plans, your events. Have you made room for God to move? Have you actually adjusted your life for God to use you? Are you afraid that he's gonna disrupt too much? may cost you too much I can't help but believe that if Jesus has saved you and his spirit lives inside of you that there's not something burning inside your heart to see God move to see to be used by God to take a region to see the kingdom advanced to see those that are lost and dying get saved and given life. To see those that are, that are bound up by unclean demonic things, that, to see them get set free. To come out from underneath the bondage. To see those that have been hurting for so long, walking so wounded, to see God heal it in a moment. And even over time, there's gotta be something burning in your heart. God fan into flame. Stir up my heart. Bring me back to my first love before everything got complicated and, and so busy and so entangled. And God, bring me back to the first love. When I first met you and my heart burned for you. Bring me back to that place. 
I was praying, I was not praying the other night, but I was laying down to go to sleep. And I know you have those nights where your mind won't shut off. And I'm just kind of like, Lord, I just want to take this region. I just want to take it for your kingdom. And, and I saw a white trailer house in a, in a corner. I think I know where it's at in the city. It's in a corner, and there's a bunch of other trailer houses around it. There's a couple of empty lots. And I saw myself knocking on the door of a trailer, and a woman came out, and she was bound up with an unclean spirit some kind of influence in her life. And I saw the Lord give me boldness and courage to, to just go and lay my hands on her and pray deliverance. And I saw her come out from underneath that bondage. I said, Lord, I see it. because I didn't just see her, I saw her whole family get affected. Her neighbors. That's, that's the kind of seed that produces a harvest that's 30, 60, and 100 times fold. That's the kind of soil. God, use us to plant. Use us to plow. Use us to turn this, this region upside down. Help me to readjust my life, my schedules, my plans, my events, moving my heart. Stir up my passion for you, Jesus, and then stir up my compassion for those around me. In Jesus' name.